Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. In Scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him, which was confirmation that in this moment when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her. And that in an instant, from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me to help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind. She wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment. Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. EverStory is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation, told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16:15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find EverStory wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow Doxology Bible Church on Facebook or Instagram at Doxology Bible. Want to share your story or know someone who might? Send us an email to stories at doxology.church. Because everyone has a story. Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I'd love for you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews 10. We'll be doing 19 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the row next to you. And we would love for you to take that Bible as a gift from us. Today we'll be on page 843. Again, it's Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Now, I'd like to start off our time this morning with a little time of confession. Is that okay? I feel like I got a bunch of close personal friends here. Can I tell you something about me? Okay. I'm a really passionate guy that gets inspired easily. I'm the kind of guy who can see a great football game, a TV show, corny superhero movies, and I can be like, I'm going to change the world. 
I can even get inspired by really cheesy things like Folgers commercials, um, old school romantic music, and of course, Pixar movies. Am I the only one who cries at every single Pixar movie? There's good stuff. More importantly, I, I often get inspired by God. Time and time again, he teaches me things when we're here together or in my alone time with him that inspire me to want to change and to join Jesus in his mission to redeem the world, to go to a whole nother level in my relationship with God and therefore with this world. Like this year, I've really been feeling like God has been placing this word now on my heart. Now is the time to dig deeper. Now is the time to pray more. Now is the time to love sacrificially. Now is the time to invest in things that really matter. And I wanted to follow through with that. And so I looked for some help and I found this course called Five Days to Your Best Year. Yet the course teaches you how to set great goals, which I'm not so good at, and accomplish a lot. Now here's my confession. I am easily inspired. I am uh, even good at taking some initial steps towards the, the things that God wants me to do. But I am just terrible at staying the course over the long haul. <laughs> For instance, the five days to your best year yet. It's, you're supposed to do five days in a row. It's just 40 minutes a day. I signed up three weeks ago. I immediately did two days and haven't done a day since. And I just don't like that about myself. I don't like how it can quickly go right back to old habits. I can quickly go back to what I had done before. Another example, so many times I've said, I am done drinking soda or Coke or whatever you call it. I'm done drinking. I know it's not good for me. I know it would be easier on my pocketbook if I just drank water. But then the moment of decision comes and somehow I still end up ordering that all natural heavenly drink Mountain Dew. It's all natural, right? I mean, it's dew from the mountains, right? Okay, let me live in denial. Here's the point, though. I don't think I'm the only one who gets inspired by Jesus to change, to grow, to better myself for, for my life and for those around me. And then somehow a week later, a day later, an hour later, I've failed. You know, we probably see this most clearly at this time of year when many of us set goals of how 2015 was going to be like no other and we're a month in and we've already failed. And some of you in here are going, yeah, that's why I don't even set goals because <laughs> I knew I was going to fail anyways. Well, here's the good news. You're not alone. You and me, we got something in common. Also, God knows this about us. He knows how in our sin, how good we can be at starting things and not finishing. He knows how apathetic and lazy and complacent we can get, how focused on our own problems we can get, that we lose touch with these things he's calling us to be. But the good news is, God has an answer to this part of us, and it's his power and his presence. In fact, there's an answer to this very reality in the book of Hebrews, in the Bible. The first 10 chapters is this brilliant and awe-inspiring description of all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has accomplished for us. It's full of inspiration, truth, and life. And it was written to a group of people who were Jewish Christians, meaning that they were Jews, but then when they came into an encounter with Jesus, they believed that he was the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one from long ago that was there to change their lives. And so in that moment of inspiration and truth, they had given their lives to follow Jesus and leave behind the Jewish faith that they used to be in to step out and be world changers. 
But then you get the sense, if you're reading the book, that they start to slide back into their old ways. It's pretty clear that they start to run into some heavy persecution for stepping out for Jesus. It's clear that they start sliding back into what is comfortable because following Jesus is not comfortable. They start going back to what is safer and more familiar, their Jewish religion. They start just going through the motions again instead of pursuing the Christ-like transformation that Jesus was bringing, which I think a lot of us can relate to, to feeling that similar pressures and struggles. And so through the book of Hebrews, the writer is reminding us and these people how Jesus had changed everything, reminding them of the greatness of their salvation and that it deserved their complete devotion. Then he comes to these verses we're going to read with some help with what do you do now in light of these incredible truths to persevere, to be like Christ. So day in and day out, you're moving forward. It is brilliant guidance, guidance, excuse me, that can help us depend more and more on God to transform our very lives. So I want to unpack this wisdom right there in Hebrews 10 on how we can persevere to Christ's likeness. And I want to focus in first on verses 19 through 22. Let's read them there together. It says, therefore, brothers, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. There is so much truth in here. I'm just so excited to dive in. In these verses, the first thing that we see we need to do is this, and you can follow along in your outline. It says, confidently draw near to God. We are called to confidently draw near to God. Now, I wish that I could somehow teleport you back to the day that this was written and into a Jewish person's mind who would have been reading this because they would have been blown away by what was written here. See, the Jews knew that the temple was the place where God's presence dwelt most vividly. And there was this curtain in the temple that separated the rest of the temple from the holy place where God's presence was most felt. And they knew that only one person a year could go into that place, the high priest, to offer a sacrifice one time a year into that holy place. But now... Through what Jesus has done, any of us can go there to that most holy place. They would have been rocked by this reality. I mean, it would be kind of like me telling you, hey, by the way, now you can go to the White House, can go to the Oval Office anytime you want. And the president, not necessarily the president we have right now, but the president is going to do whatever he can to work alongside of you to help you use his power to do great things in this world. You have that access. He wants to listen to you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to give you his wisdom. Can you imagine how our life would be different? But in this case, this isn't just some guy, some president. This is God. God has invited us through Jesus to come to him with confidence for all that we need. But my question is, how many of us are doing that regularly? How many of us are confidently going to the holy presence of God? 
and sharing our most intimate thoughts and questions and concerns and prayers. How many of us are going with confidence to God for all that we need, knowing he, he wants to speak to us. He wants to guide us, not just when we're here in church, but moment by moment, every day, into being like Jesus. I would guess a lot of us are struggling with that. In fact, I think that we can start to be like my wife, Kristen, in a story I want to tell you about a few years ago. See, I do have permission to share this story. You'll understand why I say that in a moment. A few years ago... When we were living in Minnesota, Chris Tomlin and Carrie uh, Job were coming on a concert tour and stopping in the Twin Cities. And I was so excited because I love their music. So many of the things that they've written has helped me to connect with God in profound ways. And so I was even more excited when a good friend said, hey, I bought you some tickets. I want you and your wife to come with me. And I knew we were going to get to be a part of this worship experience. Now, the tickets that we got were like the nosebleed variety, like 20,000 seat arena and we're like the top row, but it didn't matter. They were free and we got to be a part of this worship experience. This is great. But here's what's interesting is that my wife is actually really good friends with Chris Tomlin's wife, Lauren. Kristen and Lauren grew up going to camp together and they'd stayed in touch over the years. And so when we knew the concert was coming our way, Kristen sent Lauren a message and said, hey, are you coming? And Lauren said, yeah, I'm planning on coming and, and we should get together. Sadly, though, Lauren emailed Kristen about a week before the concert and said, hey, I got really sick and our new little baby's really sick. We just can't travel right now. I'm so sorry. And somehow Kristen stopped reading at that moment in the email, which is crazy, but I'll explain that in a moment. So concert day comes, we went to the arena and walked up like 10,000 steps to our seats. And then for some reason, Kristen opened up back that email from Lauren. And I read the rest of the email where Lauren said something like, even though I can't make it, I would still love to get you backstage passes to meet Chris and Carrie. And then I'd love to get you floor seats if you'd like them. I had to read it again to say, no, that couldn't possibly be what I read. And, but it was. It's what I read. So I said uh, to Kristen, I said, what in the world? We are here sitting in row double Z, sitting 30,000 feet away from Chris Tomlin, and he looks this big. And I just learned we could be in the front row. Not only that, we could have met Chris and Carrie, and then they would have gotten to know us, and we would have sat in the front row, and they would have brought me up on stage to sing a song, and then they would have asked me to go on tour with them and be in their records, and literally the sky is the limit. Okay, maybe not that last stuff, but we would have experienced the concert in a totally different and intimate way. And so I was like, what in the world? And her response to me was this, well... Yeah, I guess I just didn't really think about it. I guess I just assumed that we were already going, and so we didn't need the tickets. I was like, we could have given away the tickets. But that didn't seem to click. Now, she did realize the mistake that she made, but here's the thing. Missing out on backstage passes and front row seats, that's a big deal. But you know what? I think that many times this is how we treat God. In his invitation to us. And that's a way bigger deal. See, according to this passage, Jesus is in a way like Lauren in the story. See, Kristen and I on our own had no access to the backstage passes and to those floor seats. But because of Lauren's relationship with Chris Tomlin, we were offered this access, this relationship. Similarly, 
you'll see through Hebrews here that Jesus' relationship with God the Father and his sacrifice has now given us access to God's holy place, to a relationship with him. Through what Jesus has done, we can confidently go to God all day, every day. Why? We'll look back at those verses and you'll see summarized that it is through Christ's blood It is through his sacrifice and his representation before God for us that our guilt and our shame is washed free. That we are given the ability to come to God with a sincere heart and faith that he is hearing us and moving in us. So Jesus has given us access to God. Whether we're having a good day with him or whether we have completely failed and set our day on fire and it's going up in flames, it doesn't matter. Either way, God is inviting us to him. To come close. Now for some of you in here right now, it's time for you to accept that. It's time for you to accept that radical forgiveness. It's time to accept the fact that you can go to God daily no matter what you've done in that day. You can be near him. You can experience his forgiveness and his love and his refocusing of your life. But you gotta let him forgive you. You gotta let go of the past. You know, the sad truth is there's so many of you in here today that just won't let God forgive you. And maybe that's because you've never had a relationship with Jesus. And I hope today that will start. But for some of you who followed Jesus forever, you just can't let yourself be forgiven. You can't let go of the past. You can't let go of those mistakes. You don't dare let God free you from all that. And that keeps you from drawing near to God. And moving forward as the new creation that he says you are. So you look back constantly, seeing how you messed up your marriage, how you've hurt your kids, how you keep getting angry at the office, how you're caught in that destructive addiction or crippling way of thinking. And that's all you can see. I'm a failure. I'm not worthy of you, God. And you allow those failures to define who you are. And in the process, you put this barrier up between you and God and it kills you inside. You believe that you don't deserve to be near God. You keep him at arm's length. And I get it. I've been there. But Hebrews declares, it isn't about you. It's about Jesus. And he's perfect. And he doesn't fail. And he's given you access. It has nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with his love. So dare to receive it. Dare to accept it. Hebrews 4 tells us that we can come to God and ask for the grace and mercy we so desperately need to live this life, to persevere in Christ's likeness. And it's time to let it in. So will you take Jesus up on his offer of backstage passes? of a close, intimate experience where God's power can transform you from the inside out and make you that new person you long to be, to enable you to be like Jesus. What I know from my life is that as I began to trust that forgiveness, the most amazing freedom started to flow. I mean, just think about this. What if you didn't have to look back anymore? What if you didn't have to look back at your failures, but instead you were looking forward to the fact that God says you're a masterpiece. And, And when you fail in the future... What if you were able to come to God and just say, I'm sorry, God, to come to him confidently and ask for forgiveness and to know that he's washed it all away and that he welcomes you with arms wide open saying, let's get up. I'm going to dust you off and let's keep going. See, the reason this is so freeing is because so many of us are stuck in a rut because all we can think is about the rut. 
And people of God, people who follow Jesus, he's given us a new life and a new way of seeing ourselves. So we got to let go of the past. We got to focus on God's great love in his presence and trust that he will make us different in the future. And the only way we do that is by drawing near to him and taking the freedom Jesus offers. But I don't think that's the only reason we don't draw near to God. You know, I think that many of us look at the invitation that is given to us and we can kind of overlook it just like Kristen did. We don't really stop to think about the profound nature of needing to draw near to God. It's not just because God wants us to be near to him. It's because you need to be near to him. In a way, we fall into the lie that just being in the arena is enough. I mean, for a moment, think back to our concert and think about the massively different experience we would have had front row floor seats, back um, stage passes versus being up in the nosebleeds. We all know at a sporting event, at a concert, being in the center of the action is a totally different experience. And the same is true in your relationship with God. God wants to be in the center of the action of your life, and he wants you to be in the center of the action of redeeming this world. And the only way you live there is moment by moment drawing near to God and building that, that habit, that, that connection. Ultimately, we miss out on the fact that God wants us to be there with him. And my prayer is this morning that you see how crazy it is to live life on your own when you can confidently be in the holy place with God's presence. Jesus has given us the chance to grow from God's very presence, from his infinite wisdom. I need more of that. And I think you do too. And as we draw near to God, that's what we'll find. So I just want to ask you a question. We just ask God this question in your heart. God, what's keeping me from coming to you confidently? Maybe you want to write this down as something to reflect on later. God, what is keeping me from approaching you confidently? What's keeping me from approaching you confidently? Can you already hear some things in your heart? See, as you ask him, He's going to show you things and then ask him for the strength to lay those things aside and go to him. So if you want to persevere to be like Jesus, it's time to confidently draw near to God. And as we draw near to God, we will naturally need to do what's next in Hebrews. Let's look at verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Here we're called to hold unswervingly, tightly to all that God has done and will continue to do. Again, it's amazing how this passage like predicts what we usually do with God's truth, how quickly we can let it go. And so it's crying out to us to say, do whatever you can to hold on to the fact that you can go to, com- go to God confidently, to hold on to the fact that you're forgiven and that you have grace and that you're a masterpiece and that you're a new creation. Hold on to it, hold on to it, dwell on it. And it actually gives us guidance on how to do that. Not only should we think about it and dwell on it, we need to profess it. We need to share it with those around us because that's how we'll begin to internalize and have this impact the very way that we live. Just think about this. What if you held tightly this week to the fact that you can go to God confidently at work? As you went to him, he would change the way you see your your fellow employees and the way you do your work and you would be more focused than ever before. What if you held tightly to God when you're in that argument with your spouse or that friend? No doubt God would say, hey, be calm, listen, love. 
What if, what if you went to God and held tightly to that, that you could go to him in loneliness and he would remind you, you're not alone and, and that Jesus died for you. What, what about when you're feeling hopeless? If you hold on to the fact that God is with you, God will remind you that he took the most hopeless situation in the world when Jesus, his son, died on the cross. And he turned that into the redemption of the world. He can take your hopeless situation. He can bring good out of it. And he can empower you in it. See, holding tightly to the truths and hope from God, holding tightly to how he shines on us and his faithful presence will begin to change us, especially as things get difficult. We have to hold on tightly. And so I want to ask you another question. Would you just slow down enough this week or even right now and ask God, God, what are the truths I need to be holding on to? What are the truths I need to be holding on to? And God, what are the lies about myself and about my world that I need to let go of. If you'll dare to ask a question like that, the Spirit will speak to you and reveal things to you. So what do you need to hold on to? What do you need to let go of? So to persevere in Christ's likeness and become fully alive, we need to confidently draw near to God, to hold unswervingly to what God has done and will continue to do. And that will lead us to this final verses. 24 and 25. Let's read that together. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So here God is calling us to constantly encourage one another in love and good deeds. To constantly encourage one another in love and good deeds. McKinney family, what if every time we walked in here, we all had that laser-like focus that I am here to encourage and inspire those that I'm going to meet with today. What if we lived these verses out where we thought, how can I help this person sitting next to me be more like Jesus? If that was our focus and not us, wouldn't this whole church be changed and Fort Worth be changed and United States be changed? I know it would be if we had others focused through the Spirit of God. But the sad reality is, if we're honest, living that way can often be the farthest things from our minds. So often the focus on lifting others up gives way to a focus on me, me, me. Because the truth is these verses are so the opposite of American consumerism, which we swim in every day. As individuals, we can get so focused on getting what we want and we apply that to our church community. I bet that many of you struggle like I do, thinking that as we gather here together in small groups throughout the week and here on Sundays, that it's me that I should be worried about. It's me. I just need to get something out of this. It, it's so easy to show up and to act as if God is just lucky that I'm here. And so God, you better do something for me. You better make me feel good. You better make all these people like me to get so focused on me. It's easy to come into a service thinking, well, that person didn't make me feel welcome. And that's not the music I like. And how come that preacher is so boring? So easy to be critical and focused on me. And seriously, can anyone else relate to that kind of critical and selfish heart that can dominate our time when we're together? Well, these verses make dramatic statements about how that approach is all wrong. First, these verses say we do need to be together consistently because you know what the number one thing a Christian does is love. And the only way you can love is if you have something to love. 
And that's why God calls us to be together so we can love each other. But even more than that, it tells us what our perspective should be when we come together. It's important here to notice what these verses do say and what they don't say. What these verses don't say is when we come together, you should be thinking about if people are taking care of you, accepting you. It doesn't say when we join together in our small groups, our community groups, that you should worry about just putting the mask on and and feeling comfortable and only saying what you want to say and and, and worry about being loved. It, It certainly doesn't tell us that if we don't get what we want, we should just go somewhere else. It actually doesn't say anything about you or me and our needs, does it? We have to trust God to take care of those. We get to let go of that focus. Now, what these verses do say is that when we come together, our focus is to be on how we can encourage and inspire each other to be like Jesus. It says that when we come together here on Sunday to celebrate God, which by the way, that's why we're here, is him, not us. That as we come together, that we would be thinking, how can I encourage and uplift these people around me? How can I get to know them and what's going on in their life so I can pray and encourage them? Not me. And this passage helps us see that just showing up, it's not enough. <laughs> it's the focus that we have when we show up. So I want to ask you, when, when you walk through the doors this morning and I'm asking myself the same question, what was your focus on? On you or on how you can inspire others to love and good deeds to be like Jesus? I mean, do you find yourself wondering as you walk through the doors, as you encounter other Christians, how can I encourage them to be like Jesus? Or again, is it just coming back to yourself? The command here is that as we gather, we would be ready to invest in others. Being a part of church is about a community coming ready to give because that's one of the greatest ways we worship God. A community ready to encourage and ready to share your life. And I want you to hear me good. Living to encourage others does not mean that you walk in here, put on a mask, and just encourage others and don't ask for prayer and support. That's actually the opposite of what's true. Because as you reach out to others and discover their story and ask God, how can I encourage them? Almost every time God's going to say, well, open up your life to them. Be real with them about your struggles and your triumphs. Let them help you. There's always give and take in that relationship. And so it's going to draw you deeper into the relationship with that person because it will include you letting them be involved. But too often we come in here guarded, worrying all about ourselves, and so we don't open up. And so that is a, an essential part in investing in others is allowing them to invest in others. Literally just a week ago in my community group, we had a couple just be so bold and open up their struggles and their triumphs over the last year and a half. And it moved me and our group and so many others were willing to share more real things because of what they did. They encouraged us by sharing really from their lives. So when others are our focus, we will open up and we will connect on a deeper level and then we'll find it natural to spur each other on to love and good deeds. So I just want to ask you again, Think about this. Ask God this. God, how have I been approaching our community? Where do I need to invest more? Are there any attitudes that I need to let go of? And as we come to a close, I want to give you the opportunity to hear from somebody in our church that I think is living this out, Caleb. Uh, Caleb's going to come out here and... um, 
Caleb's going to share a little bit. Caleb, do you hear me? Are you there? Are you there? There you are. And, and Caleb's going to share a little bit uh, about how he's beginning to live this out. Because for me, ever since I got here four months ago, he's just encouraged me and inspired me. And yeah, he's just 18, but he's got a lot to, to teach us about having this, this attitude. And so, Caleb, thanks for being here. Yeah, Thanks for not yeah. ditching me and actually no, being yeah, back there. Yeah, That's yeah. really helpful. Um, <laughs> so, Caleb, I, I just want to ask you, I, I know that it hasn't always been that you've been flowing with this love for encouragement for other people. Yeah. I know that you've struggled, too, with this me, me, me kind of perspective. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I can relate to coming to church here with the wrong, with the wrong mindset and perspective. I, I've, been, I've been coming here to McKinney for, uh, for four years now, so I started in 2011. And I finally understood the gospel and what it meant for my life that year. Uh, and, and I wanted to be all in for it. I wanted to give everything I had to Jesus. But like looking back on it now, like I can see how some changes and some transitions that happened here really challenged me. Uh, in response to those changes, I honestly became very frustrated and, and self-centered. I began coming here thinking all about me and how my needs and my wants and desires could be met. Um, I would walk in here, sit where y'all are sitting with like a figurative clipboard in hand, complaining all about the things I didn't like and, and just letting the, my frustrations against all the changes take over. And I would rarely recognize all the good and great things that God was doing here, nor would I pursue any relationships deeper. Um, I was looking for what I could get out of my time here, and I wasn't at all interested in giving it up to anybody else. And this behavior and this way of thinking, it was detrimental to my relationship with God. And it was detrimental to my relationships with others. As I became more and more cynical about what was going on here, my heart for others and serving them was replaced with apathy towards what was going on here. I was, um, and this ultimately led to feelings of, of loneliness and, and disconnection and, and a distance in my relationship with God. Um, it led me to destinations that I had never intended on arriving at. So I know from hearing your story, I know how easy it is to get to that place, but something clearly has changed yeah. <laughs> because since I met you four or five months ago, that's not the person I see. And yeah. so tell me, what, what did God do to bring you to a different yeah. place? Well, it was, it was actually one of these unintended destinations that, that uh, God used to grab a hold of me and pretty much say, Caleb, it's time to come home and uh, to love me and to obey me and to serve my people. And, and so basically through, through a broken relationship that, that I was in, uh, God, um, that, that just left me beat and battered and bruised, God, God grabbed my attention um, and drew me so much closer to him. Um, in that time, it was really clear what God was trying to tell me, to, to leave that clipboard of cynicism and criticism behind and to, and to start carrying a towel of, of serving and loving others here, just as Jesus did with his disciples. And what made it so challenging at first, though, was that like, my heart wasn't all there. Um, uh, I knew what God wanted me to do, and it's to, to come in here and to see everyone the way he saw them. I knew he wanted me to serve, but, but my heart just didn't want to. It was really hard to get excited about it. Uh, it would have been so much more easier for me to just go through the motions of showing up on Sundays and, and not really respond to what God was, was telling me to do or even care about it. Um, but uh, God gave me strength to persevere and to strive to live in obedience to him. And, and so my heart eventually followed and, and I began to experience a new joy. It became clear that, that God was helping me press into him with all that I had and to place others above myself. Mm. 
as my heart began following um, what God was sharing with me um, and telling me what to do, I, I began approaching my time here thinking, okay, what can I do to serve others here? Or, or how can I be praying for somebody or what's taking place here? Or who does God want me to reach out to and serve? And, and, and the way I strive to do this to love and, and, and encourage others stems directly from me striving to be obedient to God, worshiping and enjoying him. Mm. And in doing this, by striving to keep my eyes fixed upon Jesus, God has given me a love for those around me. Mm. And he constantly presents new opportunities for me to encourage others. One of those opportunities, we actually got to go to a conference together and God did some mighty things and you were a big part of that. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened just a few weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. Uh, God, he, he provided us a great opportunity, not just me, but uh, 22 of us and in our youth group to go to a conference called Passion. And, and I'll never forget the last night we were there. Uh, we, we gather around to do sort of like a debrief of the whole week. And, and what started off is just discussing how we felt going into passion, like the drive out, like where we, where we were spiritually and emotionally. Uh, it turned into five hours of just opening up and confessing and, and praying, encouraging and, and loving one another. And in that moment, everybody became so selfless and, and so concerned about those around them. They forgot themselves in that time and they were focused on how they could support everybody else. We created an atmosphere, an environment where, where regardless of your past experiences or struggles, uh, you could come in here and, and you could share whatever it was that was on your heart. And they could know that they would be accepted and loved and prayed for. Mm. It was beautiful and moving and lives were transformed in amazing ways that night. And so, so my question for now for all of us is, is what, if, what if our church was like that? What if when we gathered here, we came in here, what if, what if we were like that? When we walk in here on Sunday mornings, what if we were not thinking about ourselves, how we look, or, or what we want out of our, this time here, but, but rather we were thinking about others and how we can serve them, reach out to them and encourage them and love them, spurring each other on to love and good deeds. And so looking back on this now, I can see how much at work the Holy Spirit was in my life. He began transforming me from someone who was so self-centered to someone who was becoming uh, more selfless and experiencing great joy in that process. And so my prayer is that we would all follow Hebrews' guidance to live this way and striving to get more in touch with God, living in obedience to him, which will lead us to get more in touch with others and to spur one another, one another on to be more Christ-like. So... Caleb, has it been worth it? Yes, it has. Can you see that smile? I mean, he's living it. And so, thanks for being an example to us. Thanks for being an example. So Caleb is making a difference, and he's taking on this new attitude, and he's challenging us to do the same, and it's humbling, isn't it? But it's what we need. He's thinking about how can I take Christ to his high school heights, and how can he equip his fellow classmates to share the gospel and he's just he's just thinking about others and God is just moving through him and he's just following the design of this brilliant passage that we draw near to God we hold tightly to who he calls us to be and that we generously pour ourselves out for those around us my hope is that if if you're finding your approach to church has been all wrong that you wouldn't beat yourself up but instead you'd go to God and say God just change the way I approach our community and use me 
And the beautiful thing is you have a moment right now to do something, not only to be here for the next seven weeks and be a part of this series called Love Where You Live, where we're going to talk about Acts and we're going to look at where our church began 2,000 years ago with ordinary people like you and I who said we're holding on to God, we're holding on to his truths, and we're willing to serve And they inspired each other and they held together. And against all odds, they built a church that exists today. And we're going to study their lives. And if you will not only be here on Sunday, but you will choose to get in a community group. If you haven't signed up for one, you can do it in your bulletin today. Go out there and and get your curriculum. Go out there and get your t-shirt. Jump into a community group just for seven weeks. And let's encourage each other. Let's inspire each other to be like the people in Acts. To, to be completely alive in who Jesus has called us to be together. Because that's the only way we can do it. Let's be world changers. Let's go to God. Let's hold on tightly. And let's inspire each other. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for Caleb's story. We thank you for Hebrews. We thank you that you understand the brokenness in us. And you also understand, God, how you want to use us. And I ask that Jesus, we would hold on tightly to you and that we would run to you. Run to you each and every day with all of our heart and all of our soul and that we would help each other to do the same. You are good, God. Thank you for loving us. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.